Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, today we're starting a really good series. Are you ready? Good. It's going to run morning and night. It's called The Upside Down Kingdom. And it's taken from the book of Matthew, chapters 5 to 7. A lot of commentators say that this was the best sermon ever preached, and it went over a few days. It's called Sermon on the Mount because it happened at Mount Capernaum. It's an area now that has a lot of military tension, which is interesting because this little sermon was really Jesus giving us a vision of peace. Uh, 2,000 years later, however, how is Jesus' vision of peace going? Not so good, I would say. We've got wars, floods, famines. The economy is doing strange things. Politics are more volatile. They say that for the next 10 years, there's going to be post-pandemic interruptions. Can you believe that? They said with post-pandemic, people are more selfish because we weren't allowed to do anything for three years, so now we're all breaking out, being more selfish, being more angry. They said there's more division, more division in families. Friendships, organisation, nations, churches. But Jesus still have a vision for peace. But it's a different vision to what we imagine. We imagine no more wars, the human race singing kumbaya, skipping through daisies. But actually Jesus is talking about a spiritual kingdom and spiritual peace. And in this Beatitudes we're going to kick off. He talks about the kingdom of heaven. Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven. He talks about the kingdom of heaven because he wants to remind the Jews that it's not a physical kingdom. He didn't bring a physical kingdom. One day he will. But it was a spiritual kingdom. It was an inside work in all of us, the kingdom inside us. And this is a challenging couple of chapters. He talks about the kingdom being countercultural, about unity, about selflessness, about humility, about service about not retaking retaliation, about forgiveness, about going extra mile, the extra mile. Everything that is different to the world's culture, it's an upside-down kingdom. And the Sermon on the Mount is prophetic because Jesus' words are always prophetic. People say the Bible's old-fashioned, but the Bible is prophetic. It's the most prophetic voice that we have. It's edgy. It's articulate. These chapters, they're poetic. They are an iron fist in a velvet glove. They will divide the soul and spirit. They're spiritual, but they're very practical. And my prayer is that they will challenge our priorities as we go through the next few weeks and that the words will float from the page and from the preachers and go into our heart. So in Matthew 5, it kicks off. Jesus is kind of Mr. Popularity at the moment. He's got enormous crowds following him. And if you wanted to be a disciple, this would be the season to be his disciple. Let's, let's start. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach him. So interestingly, in the Bible times, the teacher would sit down and the crowd would stand. So I thought we could try that. I'll sit down. You guys can stand. <laughs> Um, and he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the spiritual kingdom. The Greek word for blessed is makarios. And that goes very well with this uh, beatitude. Makarios are the poor in spirit. <laughs> I can do two accents, Indian and Italian. 
I thought, I thought I'd try and say beatitude in Italian. Uh, the English means happiness, fortunate, or an enviable state. It's a condition of happiness. Um, so it's beautiful that Jesus begins this sermon with talking about blessing. He could have said eight ways to be cursed, but he doesn't. He says eight ways to be blessed, or other words, eight ways to be happy. And the first is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Strange words, what do they mean? Well, he's not talking about physical poverty. He doesn't say blessed are the poor. He's talking about spiritual poverty, a certain attitude. Other translations say it like this. Those who realize their need for him, those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who depend only on him. So this is the definition I've written down of being poor in the spirit means I humbly depend on God instead of myself because I know I am inadequate to handle all the problems that come my way. And Jesus is saying this, if you have that attitude, you will be blessed and you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. So how do I do that? Well, the Bible says, I'm going to give you five ways that you can depend on God. These are five things the Bible says that we can depend on God for. Here's a checklist. The first one is wealth. Depend on him for our, pro our provision. He's our source, not our job, not the government, not you, not someone else, not your parents. He is our source. And that's why we talk about tithing and giving, because that steps us into having him as our provider. Depend on, on him to defend you. When people gossip about you, say bad things about you, when they insult you, do you jump up and try and defend yourself? I usually do. But the Bible says that he is our defender. So you can either defend yourself or he can defend you. Who is better? He is. So he teaches us, he wants us to let go and let him be our defense and we stay silent. Depend on him for timing. Trust God to bring things into our life and answer our prayers at the right time. We don't manipulate. We don't deceive. We don't try and open doors before they should be opened. We don't run ahead or behind of God. Trust him. Trust him for his timing. God's strength. God has inexhaustible strength. He doesn't need a Sunday afternoon nap. He doesn't get tired. When you come to him, he say, oh, I'm too tired. I'm too exhausted. I can't talk to any more people. He's inexhaustible. He doesn't get old. We do. You and I are going to need a sleep this afternoon. You're going to need on tonight. If you're over 50, you might need one this afternoon. But you're going to need a sleep tonight. And you're going to need something to eat. So guess what? You're not self-sufficient. If you were self-sufficient, you'd never need to sleep and you never need to eat. So we need God for our strength. And the last one is wisdom. Depending on God for our wisdom. Life is complicated. Yes? Yes. Marriage is complicated. We marry people who are different to us. Parenting is complicated. Finances are con complicated. Our culture is complicated. Friend, do you want me to stop? Yes. <laughs> we need God. James 1 says this, If any of you lack wisdom, that's me, you should ask God who gives grudgingly 
No, generously. To some people. No, to all. To us, to you, without finding fault. And it will be given to you. We all need wisdom. Ask God every day, multiple times, for wisdom. Before you go into that meeting, God help me. When the policeman pulls you over because you'll be going too fast, God help me. When you're ringing Telstra, God help me. <laughs> really, really help me, God. You know, the wisdom is found when we ask. If you don't ask him, why would he give it to you? He says, ask. And also his wisdom is found in the word of God. So I want to challenge you. If you don't ask God, and you're not reading the word of God, you're not depending on his wisdom. You're depending on your own wisdom. You know, before Jacob, um, before Jacob in the Old Testament fulfilled what God had for him, he had a fighting match with God and God touched his hip and he went with a limp. He had a limp. And so for the rest of his life, Jacob walked with a limp. And that signifies this, that he had to depend on God. And, you know, God orchestrates things in your life because he wants to bless you. And he wants to bless you so he orchestrates circumstances that you, so you need him. He takes you out of your comfort zone. There's trials, there's tribulations. And when that happens, what do you say? You say, God, I need you. And he, that is poor in spirit. In fact, the scripture says, <coughs> when I am weak, then I am strong. It doesn't say when I am strong, then I am strong. Actually, the scripture means when I am strong, when you're strong and you don't need God, you're weak. It's a, it's paradox, it's a paradox. But when you are weak, when you acknowledge God, I'm weak. God, I am inadequate. You are strong because you're depending on him. All right, Matthew 5 says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Another unusual statement by Jesus. But he's saying when you, are, when you mourn, you are happy. You are in a state of happiness. It's such an odd thing to say. When you're sad, I will bless you. Life is difficult. You're going to have to be on the planet for about 10 years. I'll tell you something really funny. I asked Dan Zare years ago, I said, Dan, when did you realise that people in the church weren't perfect? I thought he'd say about 12 or 13, age of 12 or 13, but Dan's a complete idealistic person. He goes, Mum, when I was 19. And I went, 19? You went 19 years in the church thinking that everyone was perfect anyway. So that's such an odd thing. But our world is broken since Adam, our world has been broken. Nothing works perfectly. Church isn't perfect. There's no relationship that's perfect. Your body isn't perfect. God doesn't expect you and me to be happy all the time. He doesn't expect us to wear a fake Christian smile. We're not a fake Christian church. You know, when you go through grief, and in your life, let me tell you, you will face hundreds of losses. Hundreds of losses. Not just the death of a loved one. Loss of dreams. Loss of energy. Loss of health, loss of friendship. And God doesn't expect you to stuff your emotions down. In fact, that's not the healthy way to do it. If you suppress them or repress them, 
They come out in all sorts of odd ways and you end up hurting, but we end up getting triggered and helping, hurting the ones we love. God wants us to express grief and confess grief to safe people. That is the healthy way to cope with pain. You need to mourn. Mourning is this incredible tool that God has given you and I to get through pain, to process your loss. The healthy thing to do is process your loss. And you will have to do it, I'm sorry to say, you will have to do it regularly. But I want you to do it. If you want to be healthy, emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, you have to process loss. You know, recently, a few years ago, I started going to a supervisor and she started, she asked me about church and life and I was going really well. I didn't cry for this. I thought I'd cry for that. I didn't cry for that. But, but anyway, got to sending out senior pastors and I started to cry. So what is that? That's unprocessed grief. I started to talk about Kate. 1996, we sent Kate out. Year 2000, we sent Robin McEwen out. I just started going through the names and I started to cry and I thought, ooh, that's a bit of unprocessed grief, um, which is okay. It's just in church, when we were sending them out, I was stoic, but actually I didn't process the grief. So how good is that, that I could process grief and be healthier up here for you, Brooke, when I sent you out? I forgot that I sent you out. Gee, no wonder I'm such a mess. In the end, actually, this is what I thought. I said, we sent you out too, Julie. Praise God some of you have come back. Um, in the end, this is what I thought. I thought, I'm not going to make friends with everybody, anybody, because I have to keep sending them out. But you see what? A stupid, that's dumb, Ros. Everybody say that's dumb, Ros. It's a stupid thing, and that's what happens when you don't process grief. You come up with wrong conclusions. All right. Um, where are we going to go from here? A couple of ways that we are blessed when we are mourn, when we mourn. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's close to us. Jesus feels our pain. Isaiah 53 3. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted, acquainted with deepest grief. Jesus is a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. Every loss you go through, he gets it. We get to grieve with one another. How good is that? We get to celebrate with one another and we get to grieve with one another. We grieved when Lisa's son was in the Thai prison and we rejoiced when he got sent out. Released is the right word, Roz. Um, yeah, Romans 12, 5 says this, We rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn because we belong to one another. And the last one is this. Why God blesses us when we grieve? Because we get to comfort one another. Your best ministry will come from your deepest grief. Who can comfort a dad who's lost a son to suicide? Only another dad who has lost a son to suicide. Who can comfort a mother who's had a child with an eating disorder? I can. I don't even have to say something when parents come to me. I can just hug them. And I can tell that I'm ministering to them. All right, Matthew 5, 
5. Blessed are the gentle, Jesus says, for they will inherit the earth. Are you kidding? Jesus, are you kidding that the gentle will inherit the earth? No, he's not. He tells the truth. In our ego, self-driven, self-centered driven culture, we don't hear a lot about gentleness. The original word here is meek. But most of the translations don't use the word meek, I think because it's associated too much with weak. But it, meek and gentle is not meek. The Greek word for meek is praos, which means strength under control. So a gentle person is not a weak person. They've got strength. They're a strong person, but their emotions are under control. They don't fly off the handle. They can keep strength under control. Every year I go hiking up in the Barrington Wilderness and I see brumbies. And if I was a horse whisperer, I could bring those brumbies back and I could tame them. And the horse, the wild horse, would have strength under control. It would be a meek horse, a praos horse. That's what happens to um, horses that have been tamed. Their strength is bottled for the master's use. That's what strength is. It's bottled for the master's use. That's what Jesus had. Gentle, but then what next minute he's turning over tables. He knew when to be gentle and he knew when to be strong and speak up. That's what gentleness is. Um, gentleness makes you a safe person. Any of you here that had a gentle dad? Your dad was safe. It's good to be gentle. Keeps you safe in relationships. The two people in the Bible that, were, that God says were gentle were Moses and Jesus. It says this about Moses. Now the man Moses was very humble, gentle, kind, devoid of self-righteousness, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Imagine having that said about you. <laughs> He's the most gentle man on the earth. And yet Moses had an anger problem. Do you remember that? He killed the Egyptian. He came down from the mountain and broke the tablets. He struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock and didn't get through to the promised land. So why does the Bible call Moses meek? Because he was teachable. He was teachable. When someone drew attention or when God challenged him about his anger, he didn't get defensive. He didn't argue back. He received it and he was teachable. So if you've got an anger issue, and listen, all of us fly off the handle. You should see me sometimes in the traffic. <laughs> it's being teachable. It's letting people speak into your life. You know, gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. It can't be given. You can't wake up to tomorrow morning and saying, I'm going to be gentle. One, two, three. <laughs> How is fruit developed? Yeah, on a tree. It's produced. It plugs into the source. So let me tell you something about the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is always developed in the opposite circumstance. So gentleness can only be produced when you're in a difficult circumstance, when you're with difficult people, annoying people, when, you've got a, the, when you're frustrated with your boss. If everything in your world is perfect and you have perfect people around you and every circumstance is perfect, you will never develop the fruit of gentleness. 
You know those times, you're like me, sometimes someone insults you or someone gives you the finger in traffic. Or so, this happened to me the other day. I was so proud of myself. Someone pushed in. And do you know what I did, Jack? I went, have that space. And I wasn't being sarcastic. I was actually being really humble. <laughs> I know it's not big to you, but it's big to me. <laughs> I went, have that space, young P plater driver. <laughs> it's those moments. I don't know, I just, I could, perhaps because I've been doing this message, I thought, come on, Ross, get a bit more gentle, get a bit more fruit. <laughs> Matthew 5. Last one, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. I love this scripture. Jesus said having spiritual hunger is one of the four keys of being blessed. So how's your hunger going? You know, I grew up in a non-foodie family. We had, all I can think, back and remember is that we had corned beef and white sauce. Must have had it just about every night, but we were plain eaters. I was allowed one jube a week, one lolly a week. But when I'm, and my mum used to complain, nearly every week, she'd say, oh, food, have to cook, food is such a hassle. And I thought, yeah, it must be a real hassle. (laughs) Anyway, when I met Mark when I was 17, he brought me to his house, I couldn't believe it. It was a different world. Like his mum called, cooked sukiyaki. I'd never seen sukiyaki before. I'd only seen veggies and a bit of meat. They had a lolly cupboard. You would open the cupboard and lollies would fall, chocolates would fall on your head. <laughs> and it was, Friday was cooking day. You would go to Gwenny's house, Mark's house on Friday, and the bench was full of pastries. I can taste it now. Lemon meringue pie, pineapple pie, fruit slice, caramel biscuits. Oh, Jen, it was incredible. You know what I used to have for lunch? My mother used to make me sultana sandwiches. I'd open my sandwiches at school and there'd be about five sandwiches spread all over the bread. But let me tell you something about my mum now. She's incredible. She, she's 88, she makes new recipes, she's hospitable. It's very annoying when your parents heal after you leave home. <laughs> but let me tell you this, there was so much more and I didn't realise. And that's what it's like in God. You know, so often we're just eating corned beef and white sauce. But there's sukiyaki. <laughs> I can't think of anything better than sukiyaki. What's that pork stuff? Anyway, um, see, I'm still not got that good with food. Isaiah 55 says this, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, says the Holy Spirit. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy exactly what Dissa said? Exactly me for the first 20 years of my life, looking for something <laughs> I didn't know what it was, but when I was 20, I met Christ and he filled me. Listen to me, eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. He has so much more for you. 
You know, Mindy was saying before, we touch the hem of his garment. There's so much more. He's the eternal God. He's the everlasting. He has a word for you this morning. He has something for you this morning. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.